The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. April is World Autism Month, and today we're going to be speaking about creating connections and passing along strategies for parents with children on the autism spectrum. The official government CDC estimate finds one in 68 American children with autism. A new government survey of parents, however, suggests that it's actually 1 in 45 children or 2% of children ages 3 through 17 who've been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. The most important thing is that we raise consciousness about autism so that we are able to reach any child who needs services. Today, we're going to add our voice to that effort. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Hull, the author of a number of books on this topic, including Bridge Building, Creating Connection and Relationships Between Parents and Children and Parents and Adolescents on the Autism Spectrum. Dr. Hull is a licensed mental health counselor with a doctorate in professional counseling. He has written a number of books on the autism spectrum, and a particular interest and expertise of Dr. Hull's is the topic of play and the use of everything from video and computer games to board games to play therapy as an important tool in enhancing social, cognitive, and emotional growth and regulation. I was recently at a conference and I heard Dr. Hull speak with such passion and excitement about the power of play with these youngsters that I thought every parent, teacher, and anyone who loves children need to hear him. So Dr. Hull, it is with my great pleasure that I welcome you to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you, Suzanne. It's a great honor to be here with you. Well, let's start with the particular book we're going to be talking about is Bridge Building. What was the impetus for writing this book, Kevin? Well, it was really born out of my uh, passion to help parents feel more capable and competent uh, in working with their children uh, diagnosed with autism. I had over the years encountered parents who felt like they needed a specialist, they needed someone to help with the behavior, the emotional, the cognitive uh, parts of their children. And um, I was passionate about helping them see that, first of all, a good parent is the most emotionally attached person with their child. And to put more power into the parent's relationship and give them a sense of confidence. So that was one reason. Um, The other reason was 
uh, because I firmly believe that the parents, uh, through building relationship with their children, could have a huge impact on the well-being of their child. So they really are the primary players in the journey that these children are taking, Kevin. So I, I really join with you in making them experts in some way. You know, with this in mind, just so our listeners have a sense, could you give us a brief definition of what a diagnosis on the autism spectrum disorder um what, what autism spectrum disorder is, what di- that diagnosis actually means? Certainly. Um, it's characterized as a neurodevelopmental disorder, meaning that uh, throughout the course of development, parts of the brain are either delayed or not developing properly. Uh, so most of the, when you hear the word autism, most of what people mean by that is a problem in the uh, cognitive functioning, in the emotional uh, development, usually emotional delays, and then also uh, deficits in social functioning as well. And that's housed under one big umbrella known as the autism spectrum. Okay. Now, I know children really range in many different ways across that spectrum. And one of the things I love about your work, Kevin, is your sentiment that the diagnosis is not an identity, that it's good that we understand some of the behaviors and some of the challenges, but we can't forget these are children with their own hopes and dreams, as you say, and their own course to chart. So one thing I wanted to ask, because I believe... What I heard you say when I heard you at the conference was, if we could demystify some of the behaviors that really sort of throw the parents and sometimes cause these children to have difficulties, if we could demystify them, maybe we could respond to them better. You talk about mind blindness. What do you mean? This was a term uh, that was developed um, back in the uh, 90s. Um, and and what it really what exemplifies mind blindness is the inability to uh, see a situation from another person's perspective, and this isn't just uh, unique to autism. You can find mind blindness in all different types of people and various developmental stages. Uh, one of which one of which is adolescence. But it is a very common thing in autism, and um, it is as if the person is going through life only seeing things one way. And why this is important for parents to understand is because when their child or adolescent or young adult is upset, it often stems from the fact that they're looking at a situation only one way. And if you can imagine, when we get frustrated, when neurotypical individuals are frustrated, it's often related to the fact that we're looking at a problem from only one perspective. And when we get help or when we step back from it, then we see different alternatives. Um, So Simon Baron-Cohen is the researcher who coined that term 
uh, mind blindness. So this is the this is the situation when the youngster wants to play the game for the hundredth time, and the parent is worn out, and they don't quite understand why the kid, parent doesn't want to play it one more round. Exactly, that's a common scenario. Um, also, the um, eccentric behaviors that are often seen that are related to this um, this phenomenon. Uh, which on a broader uh, spectrum is connecting to the child's sense of safety. So I do what I do because it makes me feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so that one-way thinking is related to the child or the young person doing what they believe they need to do because it gives them a sense of safety. You know, one thing you mentioned in the book, which I think so struck me, is that we don't realize these children are very often in what the rest of us are in when we're in danger, a fight-flight situation. They often feel like they're in the threat situation that causes fight-flight, and they're using some of these rituals for safety also, Kevin? Absolutely. Part of the neurodevelopmental delay process in autism is that the fight or flight or freeze response, which is connected to the sympathetic nervous system, triggers over and over and over again. So a neurotypical individual will have a startle response or there will be a stimulus. And once that is experienced a few times, there is a lessening of the sympathetic nervous system going into action. For children, especially on the autism spectrum, the triggering is it acts as if it, they are experiencing it for the first time. So, um, and this can be external stimuli like sounds, sights, uh, uh, lights, flashes, um, or it can be an internal, like an experience of an emotion like sadness or fear. And so this is something that I find parents often forget or haven't been educated on. So I really wanted to emphasize that in my book to help them not react, but to see their child with an explanation of why they're doing what they're doing from a brain perspective. And that would increase more patience on the part of the parent and stop the blame process. You'd be surprised how many parents blame themselves that they've done something wrong or they can't fix it, they can't stop it. Right. So for another child who hears the dog next door barking very loud, they get scared for the first time, but eventually they know, oh, that's the big dog next door. But these are the children who put their hands immediately on their ears every time and find it torturous and frightening each time. Correct. So that so in when people realize this is going to be a longer learning curve or we might have to use some strategies to help them, what would you recommend to a parent? Well, the first thing that I always recommend is for the parent to play the role of a researcher, to really observe their child and to see what makes them tick, what 
triggers the child? Um, where does the child have coping skills? Um, what parts of the child's uh, developmental process are online and in time with development, and where are they delayed? So playing the role of a scientist slash researcher to just sit back and observe and watch and get to know their child. That's the first thing. And then making modifications. For, for example, many of the young people with whom I work have to wear sunglasses most of the day because fluorescent lighting and sunlight, and I'm here in Florida, so we have a lot of sunlight, is a potential trigger. Um, other children will wear earmuffs or ear protection uh, when they're going outside where there might be unexpected loud noises such as a car engine backfiring or uh, something being dropped or um, an alarm going off or something like that. Uh, to us, we quickly startle and then we remind ourselves, oh, that's just a a fire truck going by. But for a young person on the autism spectrum, these things can really shut them down for for sometimes hours um, and just overwhelm them. So making those modifications. And then the third piece is to gradually get the child to experience a sense of safety uh, through gradual exposure to things, through emotional control um, and uh, also being able to tolerate situations little by little. For instance, taking the child out to an outing and just just trying to get the child to be there for just 15 minutes and then and then leaving and then trying it again later those type of activities to expose the child but then also that the child knows i have an out if i need it mm-hmm. um, those those things are helpful and so would it follow and inform teachers and relatives etc to know that sometimes what we see as the explosive behavior kevin is really the children saying to us in their own terms this is beyond what i could cope with absolutely because The other piece, along with the inability to take perspective, is that these children and individuals uh, typically struggle with negative emotions. Now, we are all thrown off by sadness, fear, frustration. But these young people, because of the delays in the brain development, have a difficult time regulating negative emotions. So um, those two things together, the inability to take perspective and then the inability to tolerate negative emotions really rocks the stability of the young person as they're going through their day. And their only option often is to react. So This is one of my passions in helping parents, grandparents, caregivers, teachers understand that, yes, there may be a part of the behavior that might be manipulative, but where it began is the reactive state. And that's what I want to help them understand so that rather than seeing the child as a threat, they can move towards the child and help them through the process. 
perfect. We're going to take a break at this point. We're going to come back and talk about the use of play to make those connections. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with Dr. Kevin Hall. He's the author of Bridge Building, Creating Connection and Relationships Between Parents and Children and Adolescents on the Autism Spectrum. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Hall. We're talking about parents and giving them strategies for connecting with their children and adolescents on the autism spectrum. Kevin, I love how you love to play. And I know that's your expertise with the youngsters Let's talk about why board games, video games, why do these serve as such valuable tools? Well, um, 
for our listeners who have spent any time around individuals on the autism spectrum, they will probably notice that the individual on the spectrum has a specified interest. That is a uh, uh, something that they just are really connected to. And um, one of the things that I've found in my work uh, is that usually there is a, a game or an activity that the individual um, loves very much and gives them a sense of safety. And so I began using a play approach um, nearly 20 years ago with the first uh, young people that I started working with. Um, and this was a way to build relationship, overcome the language problems. Um, the individuals on the spectrum often have difficulty expressing themselves and putting thoughts and feelings into words. Um, and so play was the vehicle that really bridged that gap. And so parents are often, um, they often feel shut out of the child's world. And so I try to introduce them to the concept of finding the child or the young person's specified interest and then joining in play um, in that world. And that's one of the joys of my work when those connections are made and the young person uh, sees the parent in a new way. And one thing I wanted to say about play, the neurobiology of play, is we, we touched on the fight or flight or freeze that's often triggered in the young person. Um, brain research has shown that when they are playing and playing with a trusted person, the longer they stay in that play state, the less the sympathetic nervous system fires. And what happens is over time, the calm state, which is known as the parasympathetic, becomes the norm for the child. So over time, this intentional play with a trusted person um, helps create growth in the brain because the, the brain has a hard time growing when it's stuck in that fight-or-flight-or-freeze loop. So this is where parents can become sort of a therapist in a way. They can be a play therapist. They can join their child in building relationship, establishing trust, and also helping in the child's overall development uh, by keeping this process going. I think it's such a gift, that insight that you just shared. The idea that playing with your child is neurophysiologically making a pathway of calming and really helping brain growth and development. One thing you said in the book, and I could understand this, I even thought of... Um, kids I know, sometimes these children look like they don't need anyone in the world to play with them. Yeah. Um, right? And so the parent will think, well, he's playing the video game again. I'll go, I'll go read. I'll go clean. I'll go whatever. And so there, you can be fooled into thinking 
that you don't need to sit down next to them. You made that point. I thought it was really one that many of us might miss as parents. Yes, you're very right. And this is an observation that I had made uh, from working with these types of families. I would track how much quality relationship time was being spent, and I found um, that it was very, very little. And so when I investigated that, a lot of parents would say, uh, well, he doesn't want me around. He this is he wants to be alone when he's doing this, or um, I don't understand it. Um, and so what I would challenge the parent to do is to be intentional um, intentional without being annoying, um, which with teenagers in general, that can be hard. But here's what it looks like. It looks like, you know, the, the young person is involved in a game. The parent sits and just observes without talking, without um, interjecting. Just be is the two words that I use over and over with parents. And so just to join in the presence and just be there and watch and just observe. Then part of being intentional is that the parent goes and researches on their own elements about the game, about the activity, about the whatever that specified interest is so that they have some background information and they use it as a way to gauge what is drawing this interest? Why is this interest there? And then strategically interjecting at points of time to show that they're interested in what the young person is interested in. Now, to a lot of parents, that feels like a lot of work. And yes, it, it is a little extra work, particularly when we don't find interest in what the child's interest is. I have a lot of parents tell me, I don't get the game. I don't get it. I don't understand why my 12-year-old is still interested in Thomas the Tank Engine. And so there's sometimes there's I have to push them a little bit. But when I make the case that you can better relate to your child, you can better connect with them, you can better understand them through this process, uh, they usually get it. Mm-hmm. And I think you really do have to be prepared to be what we we call it a compassionate presence or being is as powerful as doing. But when you're sitting there, they know you're sitting there. And so if you can make it through a few rounds of being completely ignored before you say, oh, that's a hard level to get to. (laughs) You eventually find a way in. But I'm with you, Kevin, the. If, if we could if we could open up to things that we thought we'd never like, um, it's a gift to them. I wondered if you could share, um, you, you mentioned at one point in the book that a little girl has trouble with transitions in the classroom and in other places, and you used the actual um, elements of a scene in Super Mario Brothers as a point of reference for her. Could you explain how you did something like that? Well, I um, have long observed in video games that there's a couple of themes uh, that are universal, and one of those is overcoming challenges. 
Um, another is seeing what's coming so that I have to avoid the danger or attack the danger uh, so that my progress can keep going. And so um, in this situation, the theme of um, connecting with the idea of noticing what's in my way um, and how to overcome the challenge related to um, how sh- uh, there was a classroom incident at school that was had those same themes in it. And this is another thing that I found in working with young people is when you connect the themes in the games to the themes in real life, there's a pathway for understanding which increases coping skills. And so because this was a game that this little girl loved, she quickly understood the connection in the game and then through a little bit of work, we were able to show her that the situation in school was very similar, just with different components. Um, Now, not all children take to it that simply or that quickly, but the idea is the same. Um, And then, in her case, it worked really well, and it also gave the parents understanding of ways that they could use those same themes at home or other difficult Mm. situations. Mm. Now, the other thing you speak about doing is, let's say, some of these children are experts in a certain area. They just want to talk about um, fans or they just want to talk about trains, etc. In the work you described, you sometimes said you would put a timer on it so we could go back to their favorite areas and then take a little bit of time to introduce a new area. Is that something a parent should do? Absolutely. That's uh, what I was referring to before uh, when I talked about the parent being able to um, gradually um, increase the frustration tolerance or gradually introduce a new experience um, to the child. A lot of these young people... They want to know what's coming. They love the predictability because, again, that makes me feel safe if I know what's coming. So a lot of parents make, and whether they're parenting on the spectrum or neurotypical children, there's a universal mistake that parents make, and that's not being prepared and not giving their child the expectation of what we're going to do. There's a lack of routine, a lack of structure. So because these children respond to that so well in the first place, um, that's one of the elements that I work on with parents. And the use of a timer can be a very powerful tool um, so that the child understands we're going to do this right now But when the timer goes off, we're going to move to something else because transitions are another thing that are troublesome for individuals on the spectrum. Again, because the unpredictability, I'm not sure what to expect, creates a sense of fear. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that, that, um, sign along the route really helps them know and regulate some of what would be anxiety that might become 
a real fight flight for them. The more predictability, the better. And so if you introduce something for a very short time and they know it's coming and then we're going back to a routine, they're going to do better. Correct. Okay. You know, the other thing that you that you describe in one of the cases, it, and I sort of thought, well, if you only know about this ahead, you were dealing with a little boy who had so many explosions. Whenever he made a mistake or didn't do something right, he couldn't even be in a classroom. And when you played video games with him, you said his explosion on the first mistake he made was so off the charts, <laughs> even you were startled. But eventually, you just came to wait out his explosions and stick with him in the game. And you correct me, they got less and he got less and less explosive, Kevin? Right. And because the um, video games were something he loved, he would work harder to control his emotional outburst um, and go back and try again than if it was something... Um, that he didn't relate to at all. So you're you're exactly right. This this pattern started. He had almost no frustration tolerance, and then um, little by little, because he didn't want to lose the privilege of playing the game, he would still get very frustrated. But he could little by little hold it together, and with practice and with patience on my end, and again. The parts of the brain that he needed for that emotional maturity weren't yet developed. And so as the counselor, I played the role of being those pieces. And I did that through, you know, those who want to play the game will respond appropriately. Let's try this again. And so uh, little by little, he got farther and farther and farther. And finally, he could master this level and even fail at it at times. But he could hold himself together. And that also helped us with practicing what are emotions. You know, for a lot of these young people, emotions and understanding emotions are just foreign concepts. It's a feeling that rubs me the wrong way, and I want to run. I want to get away from this feeling. And Mm -hmm. so frustration tolerance means we have to help these young people feel the emotion but not react to it. And games are a great way to do that, whether it's a board game or um, a video game, um, and using their specified interests. Well, we're going to have to take a break, but we're going to come back to the use of rewards and consistency in a gentle way to really help, as you say, brain development. These children don't want to explode. They're like other kids. They really just want to play. So you've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with a real expert, Dr. Kevin Hull. He's the author of Bridge Building, Creating Connection and Relationships Between Parents and Children and Adolescents on the Autism Spectrum. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. 
Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There are so many ways to get your message out into the world. Why wouldn't you use as many media outlets as possible to promote your book, your business, or your brand? So how will you do it? Where will you start? I'm Paula Rizzo. And I'm Terry Gispicio. Join us every week on Lights, Camera, Expert. Unleash your expertise. We'll show you how to get the media attention you and your brand deserve. Listen every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about bridging and connecting between parents and children on the autism spectrum. We were talking about the use, the powerful use of play. And now we're going to talk about a few more things that we hope parents can take as strategies to really become experts with their children. Kevin, you mentioned that one of the most important parental roles is as the stabilizer. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, the stabilizer is an individual in the in the young person's life who is predictable, who is organized, who is um, someone to be trusted. And I know a lot of parents, as they hear this, are thinking, oh, boy, I failed. Um, but I don't want to frame that as, as a negative or that all is lost, because in my world, every day is a new day. And this is a this is a journey, not a sprint. And so um, becoming a stabilizer as a parent is, you know, I help parents look at their the way the home functions and to really build in routine and predictable structure. Now, of course, sometimes that's just not possible 
um, unforeseen events, uh, the young person has a bad day, etc. But what I'm talking about is that overall there's a routine, there's expectations that are clear, and the communication that is done from the parent is always uh, the same. It's clear, it's understandable, and so that the young person knows what to expect. We have to remember that when these individuals are in a situation that they don't feel safe or they don't feel competent, their tendency is to shut down. Mm. And that's what we don't want. So even a parent right now who's listening who says, well, my young person is 15, I blew it. You know, I didn't start this when they were four or five, and I'm realizing now. I want to help that parent especially understand that, you know, today is a new day and that that building in that structure and routine and communication can start immediately. And don't think of it as something I got to do to make a quick overall fix, but just slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. The availability being the predictable stabilizer. Um, I, I'm so glad that you're letting parents know there is no easy fix and they're not alone. Often we want so much for our children that there's a sense of discouragement, as you talk about in the book. I mean, there are realistic challenges here. It's not so easy for the parents. No, it's not. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff in the media about autism awareness, and there's these you know, wonderful outreaches and these events. But in my experience, parents uh, who are trying to parent children on the spectrum often have a lonely road. Um, And that's one of the things that I do as far as advocacy is to connect them with support groups, help them uh, feel capable and competent, that they have a toolbox um, that, they can draw from, and when all else fails, you know, they've taken their child out and the child is just overwhelmed and melting down, that the parent doesn't have to react. They can just say, okay, it's one of those days. We're going to wrap up and head home and start over. And so, you know, to give the parent a sense of hope, and one element, too, that I find parents do is they get a lot of pressure from society and schools to have a, quote, normal child. And there is no normal child. I've worked with so many young people who, if you had seen them at fifth grade, ninth grade, um, even transitioning from adolescence to adulthood, you would have thought, oh boy, there's too many problems here. And yet, with consistent parenting, with outside services, these young people can be themselves, develop as their own self, but yet be able to function as independently as possible out in the real world. So I I often coach parents to just be in today. Don't extrapolate what my five-year-old's going to be like at 15 or will they ever be able to go to college. Just stay in today. Work with what you've got today and go from there. Mm. And it's uh, it's really um, that staying with the moment is not only powerful, but one other thing that you say 
um, is the importance of connecting with other parents. So my quick story is a mom whose whose son, Jimmy, I'll make up the name, is on the spectrum. And she's, of course, involved with other moms. And mom is the mom of Susie. And the kids are seniors. And they're both going to go to the prom. And Jimmy's got some unrealistic expectations that Susie's going to dance with him at the prom. And Susie's mother's saying, I don't know. Um, both mothers are wise enough to be on the prom committee, Kevin, because they figured we're going to be at this prom. And right. they did. Beautifully. Did Susie let Jimmy dance with her? No. <laughs> did the kids both dress up and go to the prom and sort of do their thing? Yes. But the moms were there as the bodyguards. And quite frankly, Jimmy lives independently, works independently, drives independently. That's fast-forwarding, you know, 10 years later, but it's just what you said. But even I was holding my breath for the prom when she told me about it, but the moms had figured out a way to work together. And that is so helpful when you sometimes think you're really facing something really too big to do alone. Very true. Connection and support are a key element of of parenting a child on the spectrum. And, you know, as any of us as parents, it's a daunting task to get them from childhood into adulthood. And so wise parents uh, get support and they stay connected. And uh, this is something that I coach uh, the parents I work with to do because there's, there's power in numbers. And when we get isolated, uh, that's when problems develop. And and so many parents of children on the spectrum feel isolated and that they have no one to reach out to. Even their own family members reject them or judge them uh, very negatively. Now, the other question people wanted me to ask you, Kevin, is what? how do I deal with my other kids in terms of explaining that their brother's on the spectrum, um, he, he has some needs they may not have? How, what do you suggest parents do with that? Well, this is the element of uh, two things. There's the family, and then there's the individual siblings. And so as a family, making an effort to have family time um, and that so, so that, I mean, it's easy for the, the young person with adolescence with autism, whether in childhood or adolescence, to take all of the focus And so parents have to strategically spend time and make time for the individual siblings or siblings who are neurotypical so that they feel involved and they feel connected. And what happens when that's done right is that the neurotypical siblings, rather than feeling resentful of the sibling with autism, they become helpers, they become protectors, they become not not little parents, but they become um, uh, champions. They they become advocates because they know I've got my own life too. Mom and dad are going to give me my freedom over here and be with me and let me be myself. But then also as a family, I have this sibling and I can be with them too. And so it's a, it's a strategic piece of doing both um, And also, I encourage parents to check in their community because one of the things that have started to sprout up are support groups for neurotypical siblings 
and also counselors who specialize with not just the autism spectrum, but also working with the siblings to deal with the emotions that can often come with that. Mm, Oh, that sounds like a wonderful idea, because often the siblings have an agenda that no one knows and they don't share till they come across other siblings. That's a wonderful um, group for parents to be aware of. Is there any... Is there anything in particular that you would give as a guideline for parents in terms of setting limits without becoming overly harsh? Well, one thing that I coach parents to do is to, and this is part of that observation slash scientist stage, how does their young person best receive information? Um, We rely on verbal communication so much, and yet, So many of the autism spectrum young people and individuals are actually visual learners. So giving my six-year-old a lecture and talking for 15 minutes isn't going to do it. He may respond better to pictures. Um, And so, first of all, understanding how does my young person take in information. Secondly, make it a priority to communicate in the way that they receive information best. Mm -hmm. So that might be through visual means, that might be through digital means, um, that may be through, it might be verbal, but also action connected to the communication. So not just saying, go clean your room, but showing, here's what a clean room looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. let's do it together for a few times, and then I'm going to let you try it. Um, Just little things like that. Um, And then with limits and consequences, one of the hardest things is to find appropriate consequences uh, because those specified interests, when they're taken away, they do kind of trigger that fight-or-flight response. So this goes back to clear expectations and being consistent. So if you choose to do this, this is what will happen. And, um, you know, we don't have enough time to go into it in detail, but I do have some, some good strategies in the Bridge Building book that, that are simple, too. They're, they're not, most of the time, parents punish themselves when they try to give their young people consequences, and we don't want that. Mm. I know you do have wonderful strategies, and let's just take a minute, Kevin, and tell parents, and I want people to know, Kevin purposely did this book so it would be reasonable in price and just packed with strategies, understanding to their children. Um, Kevin, can you tell us where and how they could find you in this book? Absolutely. Um, Amazon.com is a great place to find uh, all of my books, particularly uh, Bridge Building. That's the name of this book, um, Creating Connection and Relationships Between Parents and Children and Adolescents on the Autism Spectrum. And then my website is www.drkevinhall.com, and uh, there's information there about me, Um, my publications, and I also uh, do a blog. Um, I haven't posted in the last few months because I've been doing a lot of writing, but um, I post helpful 
things on there for parents and um, ideas. So, so that's it. Great. And, and let me let people know the other books, group therapy techniques with children and adolescents on the spectrum, play therapy, um, and Asperger's syndrome, again, helping children. And then there's another special book called Where There Is Despair, Hope. Um, Kevin, maybe you can give our listeners a take-home message, whether they're parents or grandparents or people who just love these children. What, what take-home message would you like to share? Well, the biggest one I love to share is to remove fear from the equation. Uh, when we approach any relationship with fear, either afraid that we are going to do something wrong or that uh, we've messed up somehow, things usually don't go well. So get rid of fear. Um, learn to connect through whatever means possible with your child get to know them, really look at them through an observer's lens, and then reach out for support and look for uh, techniques and helps that are available around you. Thanks for joining us on Psych Up Live and bringing your passion and expertise in working with these children on the autism spectrum and their parents. You've touched so many lives. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you, Suzanne. It was a great honor. I want to remind my listeners, first of all, thanks for listening. Remember, this show and any prior show can be heard as a podcast on my host site, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes. By evening tonight, this will be a podcast. Remember, drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. And until next week, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 